Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to another edition of Life Behind Bars. I'm Noah Rothbaum, the Daily Beast Half Full Editor. Joining me, as always, is my colleague and co-host, David Longridge. How are you, Dave? I'm all right. How are you? Um, okay. Our conversation a couple of weeks ago uh, about um, all of the bars that we wish we could um, visit, um, and and hopefully we will someday soon. Yeah. Really, uh, I think you know got us got us thinking about other bars that you know we wish we wish we could visit now. I mean, as long as we're wishing, we might as well wish big, right? <laughs> exactly. And by that, I think. You know, through the course of uh, reading, and writing, and, and talking, there, each one of us has a, a list in the back of our minds of all these amazing bars that um, are sadly no longer with us. Um, some of them closed. I don't know. Uh, based on my list, you know, decades ago, or, or maybe even centuries. Yeah. So that uh, you and I have been keeping uh, track of in the back of our heads. I'm not sure why, but um, you know, I guess maybe when we can't sleep, we uh, add to these lists. But um, there's definitely a, a number of um, historic and uh, important and some not so important bars. But <laughs> well, at this point, I'll go to just about any bar, but. Ah, ah, fair enough. Well, I, I have an inkling. Um, like I like I knew that you would want to go to McSorley's first. Um, yeah. For the bars. Once bars open up back in New York, I'm sure you will make a beeline right there. Um, I, I have a pretty good idea of what bar, if you could visit any bar that exists in history, you would, you would go to. So I'll let you take the first one. I'll go along with your inkling and give you the one that I, I think you're looking for here is uh, <laughs> Jerry Thomas bar. Exactly. Jerry Thomas, great American, uh, born in 1830, sailor, uh, artist, no less, uh, writer in some way. No, he did write uh, the first bartender's guide. Sporting life character, saw 22 bare knuckle boxing matches, all that kind of stuff. And his, uh, his most famous bar was uh, 22nd Street in Broadway, New York. It ran from around uh, 1868 until uh, 1873, and then it moved up, uptown a little bit. I would love to go look at that bar. I mean, I know I, I would know my way around. I've, I've read enough descriptions of it. You go through the door, the tables are on your right, where you get uh, uh, grilled meats, steaks, chops, that kind of thing, oysters. Big long bar at your left. Uh, it ran through the block between Broadway and Fifth Avenue, so there was always a back entrance in case somebody was coming in the front that <laughs> you didn't want to see. That's always important in a bar, I think. <laughs> is that the block that today, like the Flatiron Building, is on, or is Flatiron it like, Building is one block up? One block up from that. Got it. So this building still stands. Uh, Amazing. So this is of all the places he tended bar. This is the one that still stands, and. Uh, you know, I would love to put a bar in there someday, but, uh, yeah. you know, just to sit there at the bar and watch Jerry Thomas, uh, who was a raconteur, uh, par excellence and gathered a very sporty crew of people to watch 
all these people uh, going back and forth and uh, and bullshitting with each other and uh, drinking just perfectly made little cocktails. Uh, that just would be an incredible pleasure. My God, history in the making. There was going to be that, that Jerry Thomas bar, perhaps one in San Francisco. So I had a follow-up bar for both. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just in case. Well, what have you got? Well, I was thinking, like, uh, you know, if it, if it was it was one of Jerry Thomas's bars in San Francisco, we could go to um, William Cocktail um, Boothby, you know, one of his bars. There's obviously another oh, phenomenal. Great, great American bartender who wrote um, his own, you know, couple of cocktail books around the turn of the century. You know, since we started out in New York, I thought, you know, look, we're, we're right there, right? So go a couple of blocks north, right? And we'd be at the Hoffman House, right? Which is... Oh, nice. you beat so, me to it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew. Well, well, I, I set you up for it. It's, uh, it's an assist. It's, uh, the Hoffman House was what? It was just, it was on Madison Square Park, just a few blocks up. It was the grandest, you know, most regal um, hotel of the time, um, you know, with the loyal and well-heeled following and clientele and, and the bar obviously was was legendary maybe the greatest bar new york city has ever seen which is is saying something everybody everybody kind of held it in that regard at the time i think it closed in 1915 we got to get that time machine uh, cranked up pretty good for that yeah i mean it's one of these kind of places where i mean everything was lavish you know from the art behind the bars you know famous painting that i think is now at the Williams College collection, you know, um, you know, to all of the bartenders who come through the Hoffman House and, you know, learn and, you know, that, you know, spread the knowledge really all around the world and, and kind of helped, you know, build, you know, what what we know today is, is, you know, a cocktail bar. They were big champions of like sort of the latest uh, trends in mixology at the time. So you see early, early on, they were doing vermouth cocktails and you know, martinis in Manhattans when they were new and all that kind of stuff. And uh, that was, uh, it was always the place to go. And also, you know, you could get a $5 glass of brandy there. Nothing cost $5 in an American bar right. except there. Because <laughs> it would be like, you know, 180-year-old brandy uh, from their cellars. So that's pretty, that's pretty impressive. That's well, pretty good. I'll go with uh, a guy who supposedly worked for Jerry Thomas. Okay. Uh, briefly, or at least knew him in New York. And then uh, he was an Italian, Ciro Capuzzi, born outside of uh, Naples in the Bay of Naples. Father was a sea captain. He travels around. He goes maybe to San Francisco, uh, to New York, works uh, for Jerry Thomas, maybe for Delmonico's in the early 1880s, and then goes uh, to the French Riviera and ends up a bartender at a little tiny bar in Monte Carlo, which had a casino. And it was, you know, this new place where every uh, top hat and uh, an expensive gown in the world was seen parading for about three months out of the year from January through March. And uh, Chiro, he starts tending bar there, American style. He always told people, when it comes to drinks, I'm an American. And uh, making just perfect New York City style cocktails, including uh, Manhattans and martinis, which were new in Europe. Nobody really you know, knew much about those. And uh, he's so charming and so good at his job uh, that uh, he gets the Prince of Wales as one of his clients. And, uh, and, and, and it goes on from there. And he ends up with uh, this, not only a bar, but a restaurant, the fanciest in Monte Carlo. Uh, eventually, in like 1911, he finally retires, sells out, and those people open... Uh, 
Chiro's in uh, in Paris and London and the, the French resort Deauville and all over. And it's like the greatest luxury chain. But it starts with a guy just uh, tending bar in New York City, you know, like everybody else, which I think is great. Yeah, it was just a bartender, but he was a smart one. And like Del, like Delmonico's, I suspect he did work there because he learned how to serve the best of everything uh, in a bar and a restaurant and to make people happy with that. So that would be my number two, just because I think it would be, it would be very cool to, 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 to gop at all the royalty and all that. Oh yeah. Since we're already on that side of the ocean, I think if you were there, you'd have to go and I'd want to go to see Ada Coleman um, at the Savoy hotel. Oh yeah. Famous for obviously the, the hanky panky was her signature cocktail. Unfortunately, the legacy of the bartender who um, followed her, um, a man named Harry Craddock, who obviously wrote the Savoy cocktail book, has cast a very big shadow. And, you know, Ada's, you know, legacy, uh, you know, is in, sort of written out of history, which is really unfortunate. He kind of got her fired, which I hold against him. I had uh, our colleague, Wynn Curtis, once go down the rabbit hole, like looking to find out exactly what happened. Because some people say that Ada mentored you know harry craddock which is you know perhaps the no. most optimistic um, view of what happened yeah no that didn't happen you know others say that you know um harry craddock had her um pushed out and then she worked i mean she definitely worked in the floor shop of the um the savoy hotel after being a bartender there which doesn't seem to be her choice you know she left and worked at romano's which was very fancy yeah uh in, in london and romano's was a, like a was kind of like Chiro's. It was, you know, it was a place where all the fancy people went. And so she, she had a little bit of an after career. Craddock came and he was working at the grill room at the Savoy, not the American bar. You know, he was tending bar at the grill room and all the Americans liked him. And uh, he used that as lobbying. The Americans were uncomfortable having a, a woman bartender, uh, the American tourists who were coming over and it was prohibition. So there were lots yeah. of American tourists coming over and wanting to drink. Uh, you know, partly they were uncomfortable because they liked to curse and uh, and carry on and, and, you know, be bros, basically. And uh, they thought that she was kind of, you know, judging them. Craddock uh, kind of was, was able to use that to get her uh, moved on, her and her fellow uh, barmaid there, Kitty Burgess. Who knows? Yeah. To have been at her bar would have been amazing. Yeah. You know, we know some of the drinks that she made, but to, like, see her in action and talk to her, I mean, I think that would be would be incredible. She was evidently, you know, incredibly charming and uh, and was much beloved by her, her local clientele. And uh, so I, I'm sure it would have been just an absolute joy and a delight to have her mix you a drink, a hanky-panky or whatever. Well, as long as we're in London, <laughs> I'm going to go back a little bit. Yeah, please. I want to go back to 1731 to James Ashley's Punch House, <laughs> Ludgate Hill. Well, we said there were bars from centuries that we've ago that we wanted. We were kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is—I'm convinced it's uh, to him and his staff that we owe modern bartending, because he did something. Uh, you know, punch was the was the name of the game, and you'd buy a bowl of punch in London, and a bowl of punch was expensive at the time. And, and he opened his, his London Punch House in 1731. He lowered the. Uh, uh, by a quarter, which is already good, and that was for a big, you know, for a bowl of punch where you'd you'd use a quart of spirits in there, and he figured out a way that he would, or not he, he as much as his staff who were women, uh, bartending in England was always uh, 
the the actual mixing drinks and work manning manning as we say uh, inappropriately manning the bar was actually you were actually womaning the bar there. The women would go to the customer and they'd bring a uh, spirit measure, like a one quart measure with the with the brandy or whatever the rum, uh, Batavia Arak, whatever they were going to make the punch from. Uh, those are the three spirits that they stocked. And you would get to taste it in the thing. So you'd see that you were getting a quality spirit. And then they'd mix it with the juice and, uh, and water and spices and sugar all at your table side. And fresh orange peels would be peeled and put in there. And uh, once the bowl was done, they'd hang the peels up on the ceiling, which would have been. So if you walked in, the whole ceiling was... That's was awesome. row, was just row of dried orange peel up there, <laughs> commemorating the bowls of punch that were served. That's incredible. What he did that was was exceptional. Also, is he not only served large bowls, he served any quantity uh, down to the size of a cup. So you could step to the bar, and for very little money, uh, one of the bartenders uh, uh, would mix you a uh, cup of punch to order. And that's as far as I can tell. That's bartending, right? Just like we have now, and they're yeah. mixing you a glass and handing it to you. Absolutely. And uh, so his punch house went for a very long time. It was very popular. He lived to a ripe old age. He was one of those people who liked to sue people. That was uh, his uh, his chief recreation. <laughs> so he kept suing people his whole life. I think uh, he was probably a bit of a miserable son of a bitch, but uh, whatever. He, uh, he he lived a long time and kept the place going, and it lasted up until about the 1830s, so uh, 100 years for the, for the London Punch House. And uh, it, it had two huge iron punch bowls on, stand, on a standout front so that people know, knew where to go because many people couldn't read uh, originally. So they'd go to the sign of the two punch bowls. And I would love to, 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 to go between those punch bowls. <laughs> Take a selfie. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't have anything quite as old on my list, but um, probably um, visit. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Uh, Mr. Tom Bullock, oh, hell yeah. um, you know, who wrote the Ideal Bartender um, book, uh, which is the first cocktail book written by a black man in America. Um, you know, he tends bar at a number of country clubs, right, in St. Louis and then the Pendennis Club in, in Louisville. But, you know, try to go visit him at one of his uh, establishments on our uh, forget Bill and Ted's Noah and Dave's excellent adventure back through history would, it would be great to uh, stop um, at one of his bars and, and uh, get him to make us yeah, some drinks. Absolutely. I mean, as long as we're, we're uh, down South like that, or in, you know, the Southern context, I would also want to go to Richmond to the uh, bar that uh, John Dabney owned uh, after the civil, civil war, oh, John yeah. Dabney, who was able to purchase his freedom by working behind the bar. And uh, was the legendary maker of mint juleps, and just to have one of John Dabney's juleps would have been such a pleasure. You know, uh, he he made oh. he made juleps for the Prince of Wales when he came to to Richmond. Uh, he and his 
his partner Jim Cook. So it would uh, it would be uh, it would be fantastic. But uh, you know that uh, I, on the other hand, the, the other clientele in the bar might sure. not be so great. <laughs> you never know. Right. Some of those people bother <laughs> me. But uh, to be honest, we could play play this game hours. for for hours, days on end. You know, I would say other bars before fifty on nineteen fifty. Or I should say eighteen fifty for you too, but nineteen fifty for me. Um, I would also say um, probably uh, Harry's New York Bar in Paris. You know, with all of those uh, amazing bar flies and uh, all the characters who uh, posted up at those bars would be would be pretty awesome to uh, hang out there and, and and have a. I mean, to birthday. catch it at its height in the twenties would be fantastic. Unbelievable, unbelievable. And then uh, for you, any others before we we enter at the modern age or? I mean, there's, there's so, so many. many, but the one that really jumps out is the bank exchange in San Francisco. Oh yeah. Uh, where, where Tom nickel, when, once Tom nickel took over the bank exchange was uh, one of the older bars in San Francisco, you know, built in 1853 in this new building on the site of an older bank exchange. Uh, but it was, it was a very fancy bar, uh, you know, big mahogany bar that came around uh, Cape Horn uh, around the bottom of South America and went all the way up there. A black and white marble checkered floor, that all, all, all that kind of stuff. But but uh, Duncan Nickel was a uh, Scotsman and a sailor who jumped ship in San Francisco, like many bartenders did. Jerry Thomas and uh, and uh, Harry Johnson as well uh, all jumped ship in San Francisco, which is kind of funny. So he jumps ship there, and then he tends bar, yeah. and he ends up uh, buying the Bank Exchange. Uh, in around 1890, and his specialty was pisco punch, and he made this absolutely delightful pisco punch. And by the early 1900s, it survived the fire, uh, and he, his place had become kind of like a museum and debating club. And uh, women were allowed to drink there; it was so genteel. He was, you know, he kept he kept a tight a tight ship. He wanted everybody to behave. He uh, kept track yeah. of how much you drank. And if you started to get drunk out, you went, uh, if you were pleasantly tipsy and, <laughs> you know, could maintain a polite and amusing conversation, you could stay. And, uh, I, w- I would just love to see that atmosphere and that being that piece of California history. So, I mean, San Francisco, it sort of becomes a city yeah. when that, ha- you know, it goes from, you know, you wrote a piece for the, for half full, a couple, like a couple of years ago, <laughs> centuries ago, who knows? I, I'd yeah, say a couple of years centuries, ago about, you know, uh, they all blur together now. Whatever. I mean, what it's a it's a blip on the map when we're talking about bars from 1700s. Um, about you know San Francisco going basically from a place where there are not even paved sidewalks and roads to you know a city. You know, and and, and so much of that identity I mean, is the, wrapped around its bars and the bank exchange was in the Montgomery Block, which they built to be proof to earthquakes and fire in 1853, and it was built by this guy Halleck, General Halleck, who was a military engineer, and. Uh, when they finally demolished it, sadly, in in, uh, in the early 60s, 1960s, uh, the Transamerica Pyramid is there now. But when they demolished it, it took them more than a week oh, yeah. to tear it down, uh, this building, because it was just so strongly built. It was indestructible. Wow. Uh, you know, the, the, the monkey block, they called it, the Montgomery block. But uh, I wish they had kept it. We play a little speed round for, oh, yeah. for the modern era, since unfortunately there there are quite a few bars, even in the last, I'd say, 40 years that I would like to be at that, that don't exist anymore. Uh, I, I mean, these two, I, I think, kind of 
go hand in hand. Um, our buddy Gary Regan down oh, at the North yeah. Star Pub, you know, on, on on South Street Seaport in, in New York when it used to be a seaport. Yeah. <laughs> well, there actually was a <laughs> seaport and fish, you know, fish market. Um, was there not a tourist attraction? But Gary, you know, is one of his, you know, big, you know, bar postings, um, you know, where he, you know, had a ton of whiskey and, you know, so I guess one of the first bars really to carry um, that kind of selection of single malt in America. So uh, and just to see Gary in his prime, I have to say, with the full beard and not holding back and, uh, you know, just uh, just to get a few more minutes, a few more hours with Gary would be uh, would be amazing. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll jump back even to, uh, to 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 catch him at Drake's drum when he first came to New York. Oh, he was yeah. a, a, a mere <laughs> a, a slip of a lad. <laughs> he was a 21. I'm not sure I could have handled him. <laughs> it was then, uh, so I'll, uh, I'll, the early I'll 70s in New York uh, were pretty wild from what I he- heard from my uh, yeah. friends, older brothers and sisters. But, uh, you know, uh, he was there for, for a while and, uh, uh, you know, uh, overlapped a little bit, but I never went up there. But I, I would have loved to catch him at Drake's Drum. Uh, it was a lively place. You listen to Gary's stories about it. Yeah. Oh, I can only imagine. And then, uh, you know, uh, right around the same time, like to see Dale DeGroff, you know, at the Rainbow oh, Room yeah. in his prime, you know, behind his bar and his red jacket, snapping cocktails, uh, shaking them in tune to the band leader mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the band there playing songs and, you know, uh, entertaining a crowd of regulars and tourists and all the folks at the rainbow room who came there, which I mean, at the time was, you know, pinnacle of one of the pinnacles of fine dining in America. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it was quite a literally and figuratively quite a, a uh, stage for him to uh, practice uh, his art of cocktail. So uh, I got to see Dale later at Blackbird, but never, at, never at the rainbow room. Although I think I ate there as a kid. I saw him was- once at the rainbow room, but we didn't sit at the bar. We sat at a table. And, and enjoyed the nice view and drank some of the porcelains. And uh, I saw him back there, you know, looking very impressive. I've got one more from uh, back in the day from my New York. Uh, I used to be in the house band at Club 57 on St. Mark's Place, which was a social club for the East Village that had a beat up little tiny bar. And I would love to have one of their crappy gin and tonics made with rail gin and, and flat tonic and maybe one ice cube. Just to take in the scene in seventy nine eighty and see the uh, the wildness again of the uh, of the East Village, I used to just uh, shut up and play my bass and just gawp at uh, at the at the goings on there. <laughs> <laughs> and we're quite extreme. That would that would be a little bit of nostalgia. Jumping a little bit ahead to uh, December thirty first, nineteen ninety nine, to the Lower East Side, which still looked pretty rough. To uh, opening night for Milk and Honey for uh, Sasha Petrovsky's uh, bar to be to be there on. I don't know who was there on December thirty first. That maybe his his mother. I think probably his, four of Sasha's friends. I was going to say right, his <laughs> mother, some of his friends. I mean, I don't, I yeah. you know, yeah. I, I don't know who was there, but it would be pretty amazing to have been there on opening night for, for milk and honey obviously sasha goes on to open up a slew of other bars little branch middle branch uh attaboy is now where milk and honey was but i mean run by you know all his disciples and bartenders he trained and the bartenders that they trained you know the, the varnish I mean, it's such a family California with eric alpern so i mean oh it's a huge family and it all starts with this one tiny bar in a 
tenement building on the Lower East Side. Behind a, behind a tailor shop. Yeah, in the middle of nowhere, you know. So I, I don't know who would have found their way in there on December 31st, 1999, when we uh, all thought the world was going to end when it, when it went to 2000, uh, like the Prince song. Um, but yeah, but that December 31st, 1999, to, to spend one night in Milk and Honey, that first night with Sasha would have been uh, an incredible thing to say. I mean, I think that, and, and to, to really oh, be part of history. Also from back in the day is uh, Mickey's, which was a bar in what's now Tribeca, very, very fancy uh, residential district in lower Manhattan. Uh, then it was an empty commercial loft uh, district uh, that very few people lived in. And uh, Mickey's was the last building standing on its block. It was a corner bar and it was surrounded by a parking lot on three sides. And uh, I was living, uh, I was going to New York University at the time. Uh, this is, we're talking like 1980 and uh, living at the Bellevue School of Nursing, which was uh, NYU rented out spaces from, uh, dorm space, which was full of nursing students. And we used to pile in, uh, one of the guys uh, had had a car, and we'd pile in the car with as many of us as we could fit from the dorm and go down to Mickey's, which was just a little dive bar, but it had a jukebox with soul music on it and and, and old rock and roll. And a dance floor that was about six feet square. Now, dancing was illegal in New York City bars, <laughs> but the cops never came by. Right. So you'd put a dollar or 50 cents or whatever in the jukebox, and they had it playing very loud, and then everybody would dive onto the dance floor and, and writhe up against each other, and it was highly fun. Uh, you know, it was only for young people, uh, but it was... Uh, it was like a good night. It was, those are some of my favorite memories of, 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 of New York, of just the, just the, the hoot of it all. And, uh, you know, yeah. that, that's, that's, uh, part, you know, that, that's definitely an older New York. The last two bars on my list, I have to say, caused me great pain because, I mean, it's one thing to talk about bars that, you know, right. opened and closed, you know, decades before we were born. But, um, you know, I would, I would love to go back to, uh, Cooley Reiner's bar on, uh, 19th oh, yeah. Street, the Flatiron Lounge, uh, so many good nights there. Um, I mean, that was my regular. I mean, even though I lived miles away, <laughs> yeah. that was my, that's how much I loved it. And then what also pains me um, so much to say is our uh, beloved Pegu Club on Houston, which just closed. It was on my list too. Yeah, I, I had a feeling yeah. it might be. And, um, I, you know, it's, it's one of these things I can't even believe it's gone since we've all been sheltering at home. You know, that was the first like new style, like craft cocktail bar I saw that was that, that opened that worked on a large scale. That was it was proof of content concept that it didn't have to be a little tiny speakeasy bar where you did this. You could have a real like yeah. elegant hotel type bar. I mean, it wasn't in a hotel, but it might as well have been where all were welcome. Yeah. Where where there was plenty of space, it was transportable. Yeah, where where yeah. they had table service, yeah. you know, and uh, where where the cocktails yeah. were perfect. I think we'll be feeling that one for a while, the loss of that one. And uh, once we're allowed to meet up for cocktails again in person, uh, I uh, I hope to toast uh, Pegu and all these other uh, bars that no longer are with us. But uh, we'd love to visit. Obviously, if we missed any, um, we've only missed probably several thousand other ones that we could have mentioned. Um, please let us know on Twitter um, or, uh, 
or write us a note. Dave and I would love to uh, hear about the bars here. Well, uh, well, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll do episode three. <laughs> I, you know what? Or 17. Who knows? Yeah, I, mean, uh, I think there's life behind there's closed somebody. bars to keeping open uh, all the all the bars that we know and love now. I'll drink to that. Amen. Cheers. Cheers. Dave and I encourage you to drink responsibly always. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.